0: This is Inspiring Minds, a podcast focused on thought-provoking conversations between BSB students and our world-class faculty.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Inspiring Minds podcast. My name is Kelsey Wong. I am a senior finance and real estate major, and I'm honored to be here with Father Craig McMahon today to talk about the regulation and development of payday loan credit markets.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you today.
1: So how and why did you start researching this topic?
0: So I first came across this industry when I was working in the world of private equity before I actually became an Augustinian friar and before joining VSB, And the firm I was working with was considering investing in a large chain of these payday lenders. And I really knew nothing about the industry at that point. And that sector of the financial world was really new to me. Years later, when I was researching topics in grad school and trying to figure out what I was interested in and what I wanted to write on, I started digging around some more in this industry. It became very, very interesting to me. So that's how it all got started.
1: And do you mind defining a payday loan and its place in the economy?
0: So a payday loan is a short-term loan. So you can think about taking out money for two weeks, maybe a few months, and then typically the borrower pays it back all at once. And so one of the defining features really is that these are really small loans. Uh, So you could picture a hundred dollar loan, $200 loan, maybe $300. Uh, And so the name actually comes from the fact that the lenders collect all this money back from the borrower on their next payday or from their paycheck, or in today's world, it's often just taken right from their bank account. And so key distinguishing factors are they're really small. Uh, It's paid back in a short period of time. And the, borrower is saying I'm likely to have a job in two to four weeks and so the lender says okay we'll be able to lend you this kind of money.
1: Can you talk a little bit about why payday loans have been so controversial and some of the issues that people discuss around it?
0: First and and foremost anytime we're dealing with finance and low-income households and and the poor we're we're immediately asking questions about equality, access to finance, uh, social justice and the real sticking point on these loans is, is on an interest rate basis, they're very expensive. And so we can think of if someone borrows $200 and we look at that from an annual percentage rate or an APR, that works out if you pay it back within two weeks or four weeks, it could be thousands of percents. And so if you think about a $100 loan with an interest rate of 1,500%, it's a really shocking number. And then often the people who borrow this money can be stuck in a cycle of debt. And so they borrow $200 every month for two years. And all of a sudden, we look at how much money they've paid in interest and fees to these lenders. The flip side of that is that from the lender's perspective, that, say, $100 loan, that's the principal. And the lender earns, just for an example, $15 in interest and fees. So the borrower pays back $115, but the revenue is only $15. And so that $15 has to cover the business's variable and fixed expenses. And so they scale that up across their entire loan portfolio, but the amount that they earn on any one loan is pretty small. And that's the puzzle piece that I was really interested in because the reality is lending to people with low incomes and without savings, because if you had savings, you wouldn't need to borrow $200. It's inherently risky. And so, again, from the business perspective, loan default rates are high. They're higher than other income levels. If interest rates are too low, then the lender goes out of business. And these people who need the money are left without cash. If the interest rates are too high and borrowers keep coming back over and over again, we can understand that these borrowers can get trapped in the cycle of debt payments. The question becomes, do these borrowers have bargaining power? Can these borrowers shop around? Can they demand lower prices? What often happens is the surface level is that we see 1,500% interest rates and we think, oh, it has to be predatory. But on the next deeper level is trying to understand the lender's perspective and profitability and sustainability and at the same time, try to figure out the borrower's perspective. So it is really a tricky puzzle piece to understand both sides of the market.
1: For those borrowers who typically get caught up in the cycle of this, how do they get out? What is their alternative?
0: The supermajority of people who borrow from payday lenders, um, there's no other institution that will lend them money at the time and the place and the convenience in the small amounts that they need. And the second thing the data is very clear is that these go to necessary expenses. Uh, The money's not going toward extravagant vacations and and fancy dinners. Whether we like them or not, the lenders have created a product that serves the demand of low-income borrowers. And no other financial institution has been able to do that in a sustainable way. So the question really is, is this the best that the market can do? And this is the best that society can do. And so I didn't set out to defend this industry (laughs) by any means, but these companies do a whole lot that that does make them very easy to, to demonize. They don't have a lot of friends in the financial world. And so really my research was to try to understand both sides of this demand and supply equation, and I really think without knowing all of the puzzle pieces or, or most of the puzzle pieces and how this market works, it's almost impossible to forge a better path forward. So often our, our, our first reaction is just to ban these loans. But then what about the demand? Uh, unfortunately, most alternatives have so far failed to meet the needs of, of low-income borrowers within this
1: um, short-term loan market. From the lender's perspective, how do they continue to stay afloat if, say, the economy is not doing well? If? Consumers or borrowers are not paying back their loans. How do they stay afloat?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. We can look at the 2007 and 8 crisis um, to see how the industry responded, and it's a little early to understand the, the COVID or post-COVID economy at these levels. As you can imagine, it's it's difficult to get data when it gets to the lowest lowest levels of, of these markets. Um, there isn't a, a single regulation that requires reporting across the United States for this market, but we do have you know, we do have some indicators. And so, first and foremost. The rationale behind why these lenders have to charge, again, we'll just use that example of $15 for a $100 loan is because a percentage of their portfolio is gonna default. And so you have to charge your portfolio a a certain cost to cover those defaults. All lenders want to avoid large default levels. Here we just see it simply higher because of the riskiness. And so into a crisis, a little bit of crisis is probably a good thing of this market that sounds kind of strange so we'll see an uptick in the early stages of a crisis in the need uh, for payday loans but a total economic meltdown or total disaster no lender wants that uh, because then your default rates just get so high that you're gonna you're going to be driven toward toward insolvency so a little bit of crisis could be a good thing but too much of a crisis you know no, nobody wins.
1: So in your research, what solutions or policies have you come across that make these loans safer for both borrowers and lenders?
0: We have a pretty good idea of what doesn't work. Often our first solution is to encourage traditional saving institutions to provide these kinds of loans. But any type of deposit requirement is gonna lock out this market. 10 to 15 pages of disclosure requirements, uh, similar to when we take out a credit card. Uh, I think we'd be very hard pressed to find anyone who's ever read from page one to the end of a financial disclosure requirement. Uh, what we do on is again, information that makes sense in the decision-making process. So I definitely encourage um, headline cash payback rates. Here's the principle. Here's a variety of scenarios and timing that you will owe if you pay back this loan over certain stages. So penalties, fees, et cetera. Anything to increase market transparency and information disclosure. Uh, in terms of shopping around. And so if you continually visit the payday lender as a retail store, say maybe in your urban block, uh, versus access to a competitive pricing uh, consolidator on the internet that may give you more options uh, that can drive price competitiveness in this market, could would be helpful both to, to borrowers and lenders, lenders to offer a more efficient product.
1: Um, how do you see regulation adapting or not adapting in some countries or regions where the wealth gap between the riches and poorest are getting wider?
0: Yeah, this really gets to an area of research that interests me, and, that, and that's the wider area of what we're talking about financial inclusion. And so, how do we uh, encourage, coax, or put policy in place that can guide the larger capital markets and banks to serve low income households? Uh, and this is especially important in countries with high inequality levels. Anything from thinking through, if you have the right and privilege to have a banking license, does that compel you also to offer, say, low cost to free checking accounts or low cost access points to whatever savings people have? Is there a way that the payment system, so how money moves from the consumer to their their expenses, um, to their billers, be compelled to run through a system that also serves higher-income people as a right and privilege to be operating in the capital markets or in banks. Uh, that's that's a way that we can think through financial inclusion in a new way. So there's there's a role for policy to help perhaps put some guardrails around how low-income households are are banked and and access their money, and that's becomes more and more important uh, as, for instance, bank branches close um, in in urban areas because of profitability. Uh, is access to finance and that is the wider financial inclusion policy. Where can we learn more about your research? Well, for those very interested folks, um, I actually have a book that is in the process of being published, it'll be released in 2021. Uh, That's called Taming the Fringe. It's on the regulation and development of payday loans. And in that case, it's in the British markets, um, which are very, very similar to ours. And I actually looked through 100 years of data to try to understand over the long run how has society policy regulation and borrowers and lenders um, reacted to and and developed this market. And so that will be hitting the press at some point in in 2021.
1: Thank you, everyone, for joining our podcast today. Be sure to check out the other Inspiring Minds podcasts. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Inspiring Minds. Stay tuned for our next installment featuring more VSB students discussing research topics with our world-class faculty.